fellow turd glitterers welcome back to part two of my chat with my friend fern cotton in part one we learned all about fern's mental health turd and today we delve a little deeper into what the glittery aspects of her struggle with anxiety are i'm personally so fascinated by fern's brain And I love that she can really appreciate her brain despite it plaguing her for so many years. I'm also really proud that she's so honest about not having all the answers um, and, and that wonder and awe and curiosity propels her to find solutions and work out what this weird old life is all about. Um, I will never, ever tire of chatting to Vern about everything she's learned in this life. Um, if you also love what Fern has to say and it helps you to glitter your own turd, please do rate this podcast on whatever app you're currently listening to it on. It really, really helps others discover this podcast. Uh, who knows? It might be just what they need to hear right now. So anyway, let's have a listen to the rest of the chat. Please enjoy. Because you're so honest with your own journey of like rediscovering who you were before you felt all these feelings and like this constant navigation of life through your brain, I think people know that there is no quick fix because I think, well, if Fern Carson hasn't fixed it yet, then, they, you know, I, I, how could I possibly have? And, and, I, and I think that's so reassuring that you're so open. It's so, and I think for you to understand also that them sharing that is already, like, huge for them. To, like, share what they're going through is already part of the process. And you guys are in this, like, muddle together. I think that's really reassuring, isn't it? I think so, because that that is one of the myths I certainly feel passionate about breaking that, you know, we can all look to people that are on the telly or in the music industry or a world class athlete or whoever it might be and think, oh, it's all right for them. They've got it all sorted. And we'll either say that and we'll go, I could never feel as happy as that. I could never feel as sorted as them. So we kind of use it to block ourselves or we just go, oh my God, they're so shiny and lovely. And we go into this full sort of admiration. And neither is particularly helpful because there's always an element of comparison in there. So I very much like to break the myth of, yeah, I'm someone that, that has been on the TV and I'm someone that has met lots of shiny, famous people. And I've been very lucky to do lots of seemingly very exciting work, but it doesn't negate life happening and like stuff happening. And you trying to find the coping mechanisms to deal with that. And yes, I'm extremely lucky that I'm at a point where I know lots of brilliant therapists and brilliant healers because my work has landed me in like the middle of this amazing arena of just the best minds. You know, that is, I'm absolutely lucky to be in that space to go, oh, right, who could I look for either personally for my own sort of uh, healing or let's use this person to do a happy place project so everyone can tap into this. Um, But I do like to bust the myth that sort of people that are either in the public eye or whatever the assumptions are about them, that their lives are absolutely perfect. And, you know, some people do just show the perfect side of their life on social media. Fine, if that floats their boat, but that's not the full truth. There's so much going on for everyone. 
And, you know, we've seen it with countless amazing people that, you know, if we look at someone like Robin Williams, who's one of the most loved actors, comedians, everyone was just in awe of him and he took his own life, you know, like that is that is that myth busted in the most horrendous way. So we kind of know it doesn't add up, but we still do it and pit ourselves against others. And I don't think it's helpful. So that is what I think drives my honesty is I want people to feel like they're not alone in situations. Because I remember when I said that I was having panic attacks and I had a couple of friends call me say, oh my God, I've been having them for years, but I've never told anyone. And I was like, oh my God, thank God for that. Like the relief was absolutely huge, you know, that I wasn't this weird freak who was going through this thing. I couldn't cope. I was the only idiot who couldn't cope. You know, then I was like, oh no, this life is actually really weird. And the modern world is really harsh and fast and just all too quick. And, you know, no wonder so many people out there are having a tough time of it. It's, you know, this world we're living in isn't conducive to feeling mentally well. We have to put the work in to feel normal. Yes, yes, yes. And you're doing that and you're showing us, like, you're giving us really good ways of, like, looking at that in a really accessible way. You've said that as you're getting older, you can see yourself sort of returning back to a version of you that you were before you were in the public eye. And um, I wonder how you would describe her now. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely am. And it's very incremental, but I, as a kid, was full of awe and wonder, mm. like to the absolute max. And when I think of myself as a kid, there's one image that comes up and it's me on a swing at the end of our garden in the suburbs. And it's a summer's evening and I would stay out on the swing, just swinging on my own looking at the sky turning pink and I would do that until my mum shouted for me to come in because it was getting dark so it's probably quite late um but I'd be on the swing just feeling absolutely euphoric because of the sky and because of the sky really I'd just look at the sky and be in awe of it and I would do that or I'd look out my bedroom window and just look at the stars for hours feeling absolutely buzzed with happiness and it wasn't a circumstantial happiness it was just this awe and that got absolutely beaten out of me totally beaten out of me through this weird job that can be utterly harsh and soul-destroying through the press through other people telling me I'm an arsehole all of it it got beaten out of me and I got to 40 and went oh no I'd quite like that back please actually I'd like to feel like that again so that's meant lots of changes and getting rid of stuff and sometimes people and circumstances in my life so that I, there's more room to just feel awe. And so I'm very much doing that, you know, like I'll go for a walk, put on some very moving music and just like cry looking at the sort of sun coming through the trees or whatever it is. And just, you know, there's no sadness. It's just like an awe. Mm -hmm. And I really needed to get back to that. And, I, and I, I'm not where I was as a kid. I'd love to be in certain ways, but with the life experience and perhaps wisdom collated over the years, but I'd like to get back to that. I don't want to be numb and shut off so I can survive in this harsh job. I want to feel 
you know, vulnerable and open and full of awe and wonder. So I'm still trying to walk down that road now, I guess. I would say that's one of your best qualities, actually. I I would say, like, even though you've been through so much and you've had, like, life has tried to beat all this all out of you, you are so curious still. And that really comes across in your book, Bigger Than Us. Like, it's almost like reading like a kid's excitement about something that they've discovered. Um, Even though for you, spirituality and knowing that there's something bigger at play has been part of your life, your whole life. And I think it's been so good that you've never lost touch with that. And then like all the things that you go through and discover in the book, it's just, it is like a child on Christmas day. Honestly, it is. Yeah, I I felt like it. Reading the book, writing that book, was so exciting. It was during one of the lockdowns, I can't remember which one, (laughs) and it felt like a very odd time, but it gave me perhaps a bit more room to go, right, either I was turning, I think I was about to turn 40, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it felt like a, a good time to assess the last decade, which had been very bumpy and like very amazing at times, but also equally problematic at times and it was this yeah wild exploration of all sorts of wonderful things and I know things that you're not shy to try as Mm -hmm. well you know things that really open your mind and allow you to see the world from a different angle and it was really a game-changing book it was like a gear shift and um you know and it's again it's not like a linear kind of process there are days where I do forget everything and I go back on bad habits and feel crap or do things that don't work for me but I there's definitely been a a gear change of sorts and I think the gear change is just sort of becoming a bit more me again I had this really weird moment I don't know if it was last new new year or the one before that when my friend Harry sent me this video of me on new year's eve when I was about 18 or 19 I had like really 90s outfit and haircut and I was sat on the floor of his mum's conservatory and I was howling with laughter Mm. like so I didn't care there's all people around me and I was like howling and I thought oh no where's she gone Mm. I don't that's not me like I honestly I, I was shocked at how free I looked and how I was just sort of laughing with wild abandon with like no worries about anything and I was like oh shit I need I want her back please so that was when I tried to get the bitch back that was my new year's resolution get that bitch back actually one of my questions was going to be when was the last time you laughed so fucking hard it hurt Oh my God. I had the best weekend ever about a month ago. I've honestly never laughed so much. So me and my best mates who are from school, there's six of us, all met up for a weekend away. Mm. And oh my God. I mean, they're like my sisters. I've known these girls since I was five some of them five, some of them 12, but we all grew up on the same, we lived in the suburbs in Northwest London 
And we all lived on like the same grid of streets. So I could walk to Franz that way, Becky's that way, Lucy's that way, <sighs> Haley's that way, Ali's that way. Like yeah. we were all in the same area. Mm. And when we're together, we are 12. And we went to this restaurant. I'm actually a bit mortified about it. We went to this restaurant and we had a few margaritas and we were laughing. We'd be so loud, first of all. And we were laughing so heartily and we were causing like a bit of a scene I would say like it was quite a peaceful restaurant and we were being really loud and Larry is this another James Corden um experience <laughs> oh no I didn't do something rude I know what the no I didn't complain about eggs I didn't do any comp- you know me I would I would I would eat the coldest worst food rather than complain but we were just we weren't being rude we were just being loud, loud. Yeah. and I had to go back into this restaurant with my family a few weeks ago and I was like oh, please can none of the same waiters <laughs> be here because we were being wild but I honestly I was laughing to the point where my tummy muscles hurt like it was it was the best I'll never mm-hmm. forget that weekend it was one of the best best weekends ever yeah I love it and I think isn't it crazy that when we're older we remember those key moments of laughing till we almost piss ourselves but as a child we were like as if I can even remember like most of my days were like that probably but like yeah actually weirdly like I had the same sort of experience last weekend where I was with mates and we were being just silly and I was like oh it's just Good. I saw some of this on Instagram. Years, and it just feels <laughs> so good to be silly sometimes. And I think we forget how ah uh, what a tonic being silly is. Yeah, like we get so serious mm. about things, and yeah. we've got to be very serious and talk about very serious things, and everything has to be a very serious thing. And it's like, uh, no, it doesn't. No, said- like some things are serious, and we'll deal with them accordingly. But the rest of it has to be fun. Otherwise, what are we doing? Like, it has to be. And I'm saying this for myself more than anyone because I can get so serious about things and I just need to dick about and laugh and do stupid things. Mm. And that is exactly what we did. Like, some of the conversations we have are completely unrepeatable, but they were hysterical. And I just need to do that more. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it so good to have people like that in your life? Um, do, Mm. Do you allow yourself like you know talking about glittery aspects of happy place I suppose do you allow yourself to celebrate success though and epic moments with happy place no and I and I and I really Mm. should And and I think again it's um it's part of the whole sort of situation of I think being battered by the press and I keep going back to it because it has been you know, such a, a huge part of my life at times that, and I know this is why I don't celebrate anything. And I really don't like literally like the days after the happy place festival, I'm back on the school run. I'm back doing emails. I'm doing my thing. I haven't gone. Oh, well done me. That was good. I just crack on. I don't stop to notice any of it. Um, and I think that's because when I was in my probably twenties where the press were really gunning for me a lot, I would walk away from some jobs thinking, yeah, I think I did a really good job there. And I really felt mm. it. Like I've done my best. I don't I put the research in. I did the job. I hit all the timings correctly, whatever the case. And then the next day the papers would say something so cruel about me and very, very personal. And I'd think, oh God, I I must be wrong. I got that wrong. I didn't question their depiction of me. I questioned mine. Mm. I'd go, 
oh God, what an idiot to think that I was, I did a good job. I think I, I, I felt foolish, absolutely foolish. And I allowed their sort of illustration of me to overpower who I knew I was for years. So I think I still don't out of fear, out of fear that I'm tempting fate and someone's going to go, well, that was a pile of shit. So I just don't. I do the job. I do it to my best, best ability. I I never half-ass anything. I never cut corners. It's not in my nature. And part of it is fear-driven because I don't want people to be cruel about me or, I mean, who does? Or sort of slate a project that I put my my heart and soul into. So I do probably give myself a half time, hard time and I, and I really don't, I don't celebrate any of it. I think that's kind of sad and I hope that changes. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, it's years of conditioning so it's going to take time yeah. because that was in my 20s and I'm in my 40s. So years and years of feeling scared to sort of go, yay, yay us. Um, and just going, no, come on, crack on. Um, it's uh, it's a funny one. I guess in small ways I do. Like I'm working on this book at the moment that I haven't told many people about at all. And it's the proudest I've ever felt because I've enjoyed it more than anything else. It's been the most enjoyable writing process ever. So I've celebrated it in ways, I guess, just cognitively, like really going, yeah, do you know what? Well done. That's great. There's been no visual marker of that or tangible anything. It's just been sort of more, yeah, great. Well done. And that feels nice. Um, but yeah, de- I, def- I definitely need to work on that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I hope, but if it, maybe if it doesn't change, but it eases. Um, although I've just thought maybe, well, you know, when you do like, your painting at home and you don't share it no one needs to critique it it's just you you're looking at a painting that you've done you don't need to put it on instagram and see what other people think of it it's just something that you will look at you've painted can you go mate you've done a fucking great job here this is lovely yeah i do with painting actually because i can never quite believe what has happened in the few hours that I've been painting and I feel so chuffed. And Mm. actually, it's really interesting you saying that because I watched quite recently this this relatively famous clip of David Bowie talking about um, art and in a very broad sense and saying, this was back in like the 90s, but he was foreseeing a moment where it was the start of the digital sort of revolution and he was saying that he feared, because the, the, I think it was Paxman interviewing him saying, oh, it's, it's, don't you think it's just a, a tool of communication? Because he hadn't foreseen how huge it was going to be. Mm. It was just like going to be emails or whatever. And Bowie had said, I fear or I can absolutely foresee that this is going to cause this awful discord where art can only be art if it's been viewed and critiqued. Mm. And in my head, I went, well, yeah, of course. And I was thinking, oh, my God, he's right. (laughs) Art is just art if you say it. You know, if you've done something and you love it, you don't have to have a soul see it or Mm -hmm. view it or clap about it or comment on it. That is the beautiful creation that, that you've made. And I think we are a culture today obsessed with outside commentary, obsessed mm-hmm. with validation to the point where we don't see that there is another option. We don't, we just like, well, yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. And it's so dangerous for us to be in that 
world and headspace. And he was obviously so bright and astute that he could see that come in a mile off. Whereas I think most of us are now in that place going, oh my God, Mm -hmm. that is absolutely mad. And, you know, it's even how, for people that don't know how this weird industry works, a lot of the time, say you want to write a book or do a TV show or whatever, the person commissioning that book, commissioning that TV show, one of the first things they'll do now is look at how many Instagram followers you've got to validate your existence. And it didn't used to be like that. Mm -hmm. You would just somehow find yourself in the situation where you did a creative endeavor. But now it's like, let's check that they're valid first and they've got followers because they want to, it's about money, isn't it? They want to sell the book. They want to sell the TV show. They want eyes on the product, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. It didn't used to be like that. And it is now. And it's a very normalized part of the industry, which again, I think is dangerous. So I think part of my job with Happy Place is elevating voices who have got something to say regardless of whether they've got a pre-existing following. And some of the people that I've had on the podcast, um, inserts from my books, people that I've interviewed on Instagram lives, people that I direct people to on Instagram don't have huge followings. But what they're saying is incredible. Mm -hmm. So in my tiny way, I'm trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not easy (laughs) because the world works in this strange manner now. Yeah. Yes, it's fucked up. But I'm so glad that you can have those moments away from the public eye or the, the away from what you think people are critiquing and have a moment for yourself. I wonder if at some point you can just, you can see Happy Place as a painting and know it's for you and your eyes only and decom- like compartmentalize the fact that other people are with, like many, many people are with you on that journey or I have experienced happy place. I fucking loved it. Please just absorb it sometimes, but I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Um, have, <laughs> have you made peace with your mental health? Do you think? Uh, most of the time? Yes, because um, it's brought me all this amazing stuff in the form of happy place and connection with other people. But I think at two in the morning when I can't get to sleep, I absolutely mm-hmm. haven't. And I go back to being in that day, which is I can't sleep. I'm a lunatic this is mad. Why do I have to feel this anxiety? Why can't I be like the old me? And I just play that loop. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll get easier as the kids get older, as you know, they they are still in the sort of like having nightmare phase of life, I guess. Um, And as my work hopefully keeps distilling down into what I really want it to be, you know, maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't. But I think most of the time I'm cool with it. It's just those moments of nighttime panic that I think oh fuck this yeah but you're yes but you're not it's you're not alone I I I don't know if that's that's probably not that reassuring but there are so many other people also lying awake thinking exactly the same thing that's fucking not reassuring at all but I just hope that there is something no it is it is that eases that and it It and um it gets easier yeah I think it will and also if it doesn't it's not the end of the world. I've done so many days with the kids or days of work on two hours sleep and it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Mm. You're like, oh, that was actually fine. I did it. So I have to always remember that at two in the morning, like, oh, look, you've done this before. Just crack on. Tomorrow will be probably actually way better than you're even assuming it's going to be. So it's not a bad one to be left with if that was the, you know, I'm glad that I've managed to 
you know, you obviously live in the day with any sort of recovery, but I've kicked the the eating disorder thing. It's been a long time. I haven't had a big period of depression, panic attacks at bay due to some life choices I've been lucky enough to make. The sleep thing, I'll just, you know, I'll see how it goes, but it's it's certainly not the end of the world. I can I can deal with it. I hope that there are, there are things like you know that that you keep discovering things like breath work and whatever, and and it's in that sort of discovery that you kind of go maybe there is hope. You know, there's there's hope for change. Always, I think that's the great thing, isn't it? And then getting to share it and talk about it, and you know, it's very much like what you've been doing over the last 11, 12 years of, you know, sharing, there's such power in it. And I think that's what I'm deeply passionate about is the sort of storytelling element. And it's probably very much why we became friends as well, is that we both have that understanding that that storytelling is really where it's at. It, it's so powerful. And, you know, all the people that you've helped over the years from being putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way and, and sharing your story is absolutely game changing absolutely game changing I, I, you know I just what I love about talking about other people's turds is is just making other people realize that we literally all of us are going through something shit all of us every single one of us yeah. um I actually wanted yeah. to um yeah. read like read a quote to you from your book to like I don't know like to remember that you say this stuff and so that you absorb it yourself because <laughs> it's like you you say some really brilliant things and I just wonder whether you like read the back to yourself we have them printed in your house and go oh yeah I fucking said that and I should maybe live by it but um <laughs> maybe I should do that <laughs> this is a good one um any cognitive chatter that does not align with the fact that we are all beautiful benevolent perfect wise helpful capable humans can sod right off mm, yeah that's a good one that was who 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 inspired that one? Was it um Oof, I don't might remember have been Wendy Mandy. Maybe. Yeah, it's it, it's very much something that I know to my core to be true. Mm. But again, in those moments, it can go out the window. Um and I think, you know, the awareness is there. I know that my mean voice in my head has been ramped up because I've been exposed to the press and nasty journalists and keyboard warriors and and all that stuff on a on a big level so it's been at times backed up by outside noise so i have that deep awareness um but i do sometimes forget that because i do believe that's really true i do believe that you know all babies are born gorgeous and full of love and light and then life experience takes people down differing paths and some are really not good mm. um but we all start off with that love and light and it is there we've got to get back to it and you know people obviously that do awful things um are in pain they're not happy people they're people that are in a lot of pain and I have to remind myself of that like even in my own tiny way that you know there's obviously far worse forms of abuse you can receive but the abuse that I have received from people are from people that are not feeling good. Mm. They're not happy people. They're people in pain. And I think we all have to remember that. If you're getting shit from a mate or from a family member or a colleague or whatever it is, they, those people are in pain. They're in pain. Otherwise, they would not do it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make it go away. 
but it allows you a slightly different perspective to go, oh, right, yeah. That journalist who was, you know, Oxford educated, who I think is so much cleverer than me and thinks that I'm a thick piece of shit, is actually really not happy in their own life. Mm-hmm. And it goes for anyone giving us shit, you know, it's it's people who are not feeling good. Yeah. And I think the fact that you've already gotten to that place and can remember that is generous, but also good and healing because it allows for, I guess, less anger in your own body, which is never good, as yep. we know. Okay, let's quickly go through a core lesson that you want to share from your turd or the glittering of it. Um, I think it's that connection is is really where it's at. And, and you know, I, I have directly learned that from the glittering of said turd because this new phase of my working life has allowed me to deeply connect with people on a way that I really wasn't before because I didn't understand it was necessary or that um, it was available, really, that that sort of connection was available. And, and the sense of community that you get from that and the sense that community is really where it's at, you know, that there are power in numbers. You know, you've seen that with Copperfield. Mm-hmm. You get a bunch of people together that are passionate. You can raise millions of pounds. <laughs> you can put the message out there that everyone needs to hear. Like you can do big shit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's connection and it's community and it's working together, not having this solo endeavor the whole time, like doing things as a group um, is a very beautiful thing. And you know, I really experienced that on a very personal, lovely level now that say even within the podcasting community, you'd think it could be a bit like argy-bargy or who's number one in the chart this week, but it's like the friendliest place. And I'll be cheerleading on Elizabeth Day one day. She'll give me a pep talk the next. Then Jake Humphrey will send me a generous text about an episode or I'll text Stephen Bartlett saying that I loved what he did. And we feel like I think we're all part of something nice that we're all doing separately but together Mm -hmm. and I didn't used to feel like that at all it was all about competition and how far ahead you could get so I think yeah it's community it's connection and um yeah it's just sort of remembering that we're all in it together really Mm -hmm. that's that's the that's the big lesson learned for me Mm -hmm. well you're all so unique and and I think we're all sharing something that is then super unique as well so there can't there can't be competition in that but talking about connection and like something you know we have stood next to each other when we have like witnessed really strong love and connection at Festival. and like I've never felt like that kind of buzz and that energy like I do when we stand on that stage and we look at these people who are just there like like they're meant to be together in that room, in that space together. It's it's so hard to describe, but it's also so special and and um like cultivating that and like like really seeing the essence of that is so important, isn't it? And to really go, that shit matters. Yeah, it does, because I think it also is um it really reminds us that there are lots of good people in the mm. world. And the news won't do that. The news will tell you everyone's awful, terrible, evil, dark. So you can get very scared, very paranoid. But then, like you say, when you stand on a stage like that and you see all those people together smiling, happy, 
making friends with each other, mm-hmm. like hugging arm in arm, yeah. feeling the power of music, wanting to be part of a greater cause, supporting the charity. You go, oh my God, there's so many beautiful people with goodwill out there, way more than we could ever, ever imagine. And you see those sort of direct acts of kindness and and people sort of showing their stories with you or thanking you. And it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, Festafield every year has been, you know, deeply emotional and incredible event to be part of. Mm-hmm. I think because of that, mm-hmm. because you go, oh, bloody hell, look at all these people who are here for, for a jolly good reason. Mm-hmm. They want to be here. They want to be part of it. And it's, um, yeah, that's, that, that's a buzz, isn't it? That's a it real buzz. It's a real buzz and it's a real bonus of doing an event like that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that you have needed, like a, th- a thing that's helped you to glitter your turd, whether that's an actual object or otherwise. It is otherwise. And it is luckily um, a drive that I have inherited from my parents. Mm. And I think without having a drive... I would still be back where I was at 30 going, everyone hates me, I'm never working again. But luckily, you know, I grew up in a working class family. My dad was very hard working until a couple of years ago as a sign writer. And my mum had multiple jobs when we were kids. Um, none of them that she particularly liked, but, you know, she sort of had to. And I I saw that and I, I didn't recognize it at the time. I was just like, you're a kid and your normal is your normal. But that obviously by osmosis went in and I saw that working hard equaled a, a certain amount of um, either fun or safety as a family or whatever it might be because they worked so hard. And I think unless I'd had that determination and my mum has got a hell of a lot of determination like you give her something she wants to do a job she wants to do she she will do it the quickest and in the most efficient way it's it's unreal and I've definitely luckily inherited that yes you have. and I think with that determination there is there is like a bit of fire there's like a bit of a bit of healthy anger and I think due to certain people in my life at certain points, essentially the press as well, sort of putting a black cross through me, it felt like. I had this drive to like, I'm going to fucking show you. I'm going to show you that that is not the end of me or my career. And I am not what you're saying I am. And I am not going to align with the story that you are putting out about me. I know that I am so much more than that. So I think that drive and determination allowed me to somehow still get my ass out of bed every day and go and do a job that was extremely public at the time on the radio and talk to millions of people and feel like shit doing it. But I did it and I wouldn't give up and I, I don't give up. I really don't. So I think unless I had drive, I would be back at square one still. And, I, you know, that is luck. I, I am lucky that I happened to have two parents that were, you know, got a very good work ethic and naturally inherited this sort of fire from my mum that has enabled me to do that. So I, I feel very grateful that my parents kind of modelled that for me and, um, and yeah, it, you know, it's what gets me out of bed every day mm-hmm. to try something new, try a new project that might not work out. You know, it's 
It's a drive and a determination. Thank you, Mama and Papa Cotton, for creating this drive for fun. But I, I mean, I have to say that you are, it's good to have it, but you're very good at cultivating it and like really using it. Because there's some people that might have it and go, nah, 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 thanks. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> no, mine's insatiable. I don't even have a say in it. Mine is insatiable. Even when I'm on the floor tired, I don't stop. Like it's just who I am. And I've made peace with that. Good. We're quickly going to listen to Carrie and how they glittered their turd. Hi, Chris. In 2019, I was very excited about becoming a mum. I was due in the June and I had a very healthy, gorgeous baby boy on the 12th of June. Three weeks later, my dad found out he had lung cancer um, and 10 days after that he passed away and we didn't get much time with him at all and we didn't really have time to say goodbyes and he got to meet Isaac which is the glitter on the turd and obviously the turd is dad dying it's been three and a half years now but I think I've only just started to realise what's happened. Um, Isaac has kept us all going, certainly kept me going through those horrible few months. But uh, yeah, in the past year or so, I think um, my head's just started to realise, wow, what actually happened. But yeah, so that's my turd and my glitter. You just have to find good in all the bad, don't you? What a beautiful message. So beautiful. And um, like time and time again, isn't it? Like we see like that, that amazing, that incredible mixture of life and death. And like, there's nothing more real about like the, the, the rejuvenation of life through a baby. But then a lot, like at the same time as losing someone that is so important to you, like, and, and, Oh, death and life happening simultaneously is heavy and intense and um yeah i can i can totally imagine that isaac would have been total joy in that awful time but mm. it's, it's um yeah thank you carrie for sharing that and to like i'm always so amazed that people recognize the glitter and I thought I, I was the only one. <laughs> I thought I was the only one that could go, wait, hang on a minute. I don't think it's all bad and I found some glitter in all of this shit. And um, I'm so glad that other yeah. people can recognise it and and share it and kind of say, nah, there is something good here and I, I found it and this is what it is. That's awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. It's very cool. I think often there is... The glitter is is next door to a lot of shit. We just don't see it straight away. Mm. But I think that's why this podcast and your book is brilliant, that people might actually be able to see the glitter a bit more clearly because it probably will be there. Even in like the shittest of darkest situations, it, it is nearby somewhere. Mm. Yep. 
Um, and then finally, we're going to cheers to all the turds of the world. Um, do you have a drink or some dregs of tea? No, you won't have tea. You'll have coffee. Water? Water. You're very, I just got water. You're so good at drinking water as well. I really Excellent am. <laughs> water drinker. Um, <laughs> cheers to your turd. And my turd. Cheers to your turd. And all the Love turds. Love you. Love you. I hope you feel as glad as I do that Fern is so open about being plagued by comparison, how much anxiety she has about how she comes across and also all of her successes because she makes it okay for us lot to have all of those feelings too. Um, My hope is that she really will properly reconnect with that young Fern and fully find that wonder and awe again um it's so cool how she's found happy places for herself and others um and and it's been a real joy to see her grow Uh, and of course i had no idea i'd be saying that when i cheekily stuck a copperfield sticker on her or at the awards uh do all those years ago um all i really cared about was getting papped with a sticker on that reminded others to check their boobs and maybe save some lives and now saying that uh, out loud feels really kind of gross um actually but I just feel so lucky that she is so so much more to me now than everything I'd seen on tv or heard on the radio (sighs) anyway loads of love to you thank you so so much for listening and of course thanks to Fern for chatting to me and to Carrie for sharing your turd too. Over and out for now. Bye. Bye.